0: Hi, this is Josette. Hi, I'm Katie Gavin. This is Naomi from the band Muna, and you
1: are listening to the LSQ Podcast.
2: What's up? It's Jenny EllisQ. Thanks for pressing play on the LSQ Podcast. Episode 81 includes two interviews. First up, a conversation with Muna. I loved getting to talk with Katie and Josette and Naomi Uh, just last week during their U.S. headlining tour. And if you're listening when this just comes out, there are still some dates left. You can see if there are tickets left at whereismuna.com. And earlier this year, they released their awesome self-titled third studio album via Phoebe Bridger's Satisfactory Records. And after the Muna interview, hear from the Womack sisters, whose debut EP just came out in early September. But as you might guess from their name, they have been singing together their entire lives. and, And also... Uh, Yeah, they're part of a legendary music family that includes Womack and Womack, their parents, and Bobby Womack is their uncle, and they are the granddaughters of Sam Cooke. So more about the Womack sisters after this conversation with Muna. It's so great to get some time to get to know you a bit better, and I've been admiring your music for a while now, and especially this new album, the self-titled one, so fucking good.
3: Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice.
2: So you're in Detroit. Muna is in Detroit currently. How's that? We are. How's your day so far? How's this day of not quite midway through the tour, right? Maybe first third or in the first third at this point?
0: It's a longer leg than our first leg. Our first leg was three weeks. So as, soon as, we, as soon as we got used to it, it was ending. But now we're getting into the swing of things. And we had a day off in Detroit yesterday, which was nice because we could, like, adjust to the city and explore a little bit. I went rollerblading, which is stereotypically what I do in a city. If we have time off, I find the body of water and whatever bike trail is next to it. I can't believe you do that. It's amazing. I don't know what I would do if I didn't. I can't believe you don't do it.
1: It's hard for me to go into a new place and feel safe.
0: Yeah, we have a different. We have a different. But you also get. Uh, this is Katie talking to Josette. You get like cat called and talked to so much more than I do. Like it just doesn't happen to me. And also, when you're on blades, you're going fast. So. Yeah, that might be why.
2: But it's also, I, I imagine, some of it's just the. Uh, it's that's just the outlet or whatever. Josette, do you have something that's the like I gotta do this thing somewhat daily on tour that makes you feel like
1: definitely. I'm addicted to lifting weights, and this past tour, I've been cooking like on the bus, which has been a very interesting, wild ride. But it's definitely weightlifting and making weird concoctions. Then Katie brought her instant pot, so I've made a few soups. Uh, Some have been good, some have been exceptionally salty and soup king. Now I'm gonna be moving into making because we also got a hot plate, so I'm gonna be making some other stuff.
2: It reminds me of watching episodes of Lockup and, like, what people make in their prison cell or something. Yeah.
1: We actually have a bunch of toilet wine in our toilet as well, so (laughs) it makes sense.
2: It's where the best fermenting happens, apparently. Naomi, what about you? What's your get-through tour feeling human thing?
3: I don't fucking know, to be honest. You also work out, though. Yeah, I work out quite a bit, which is fun and helpful and, like, feels centering. Um I don't know. I'm not a very embodied person. Like, I don't feel very in touch in that way most of the time. I'm very, like, dissociated. So I think, like, my dissociating kind of makes it pretty easy to get through to her. Um, <laughs> if I'm being real.
2: That's highly relatable to me. I was thinking, like, for me, what it would be probably would be some routine around coffee that would be
3: yeah I get up and do coffee pretty much like as soon as I get up I get up and do a little pour over yeah and that's helpful and stuff but in like a pre-covid world I'm also like I like to go walk and like put my headphones in and listen to podcasts I would say I'm addicted to podcasts and Mm -hmm. lightly addicted to working out but more so addicted to
2: podcasts tell me a bit about when you when you first remember feeling like creative or creative urge?
3: I think I always felt very musical and very creative. I can't say that like, it felt entirely spontaneous. My family are all musicians. So like, there was constantly sort of music and art happening around me, which made it feel sort of like a natural form of self-expression. I think I like found my own way to it kind of in my adolescence. Everybody like quits their classical piano lessons when they're like 12 or 13 and I'm definitely no exception and I think I kind of like I had to naturally sort of like come back to it of my own volition if that makes sense.
2: Tell me a little more about when you say your family was musical what's the deal with that?
3: My grandfather is a pretty well-known bebop sax player. He played with Mingus and also like has a bunch of his own work that he's done and his son my dad is a drummer and also plays a bunch of different instruments and my mom met my dad because at the time she was like a gigging bass player she doesn't play bass anymore which makes me sad but I don't know I have like an uncle that's an art teacher and like my step-grandmother was a classical pianist and she was my piano teacher until I was like 12 or 13 from like the age of five until then so I didn't understand that people like weren't obligated to take music lessons. It was just very integrated into my childhood and my life and like the life of a lot of the people in my family. It was like you're either doing music or you're doing art or you're dancing or something.
2: So what was the first thing that sort of felt like it came from a different direction than that? You know what I mean? That was like, "Oh, that can feel like a responsibility, but this is something special."
3: I think when like people started giving me music that wasn't what I had been exposed to, maybe starting around when I was like 10. I had an aunt who gave me a few CDs that were definitely not the type of music that my parents were into listening or that my mom was into listening at the time. I lived with my mom. My mom's a single parent and she kept the house like pretty quiet. But if she was listening to music, the most modern it got for her was like Sade. Day she pretty much only liked like funk and jazz. So I started listening to like folk and bluegrass shit and then some like punk stuff or when I was like nine or 10. And then I just started getting into like music that yeah wasn't like what I was assigned to play for my like piano lessons. And then it started to feel like a place that felt like my own thing, kind of more as a listener before the playing perspective, if that makes sense.
2: What were some of those artists that, you know, that feeling you have for the first artists that you love where you're like, oh, fuck.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair to my mom's music taste, I did love Day. Like whenever she played Sade, I couldn't understand what she was saying, but I loved the music so much. So Sade is definitely an early one that is definitely like from my mom. And But my aunt burned me uh, like a Bad Religion CD that I loved. I was like a Bush era kid I didn't know anything about politics, but I knew that I fucking hated Bush and I hated the war. And like, I felt a little like a punk in my little heart that really didn't have a geopolitical understanding, but knew that I felt like angsty about politics and stuff. And maybe I knew I was queer and that felt like part of it. But yeah, bad religion and like some early green day shit and then a Nirvana CD. And at the same time, I was also like, She also burned me like a Nickel Creek CD. And I still, to this day, I love Nickel Creek. So
2: yeah, a bunch of different stuff. And then how did you kind of get back into playing music again, where it felt like it was exciting and of your own volition?
3: So I quit piano when I was 12. I wanted to play guitar or bass, but I started playing guitar. I took classical guitar lessons and I surprisingly did not love it, but I did learn how to play some stuff and I was having fun playing it. And then I quit taking lessons and then I kind of just started like doing my own stuff and like playing, trying to learn stuff that like I liked by ear. And I wasn't playing a whole ton when I was in high school, but I liked to like, you know, put my guitar in like weird tunings and have fun doing that. And then I kind of got into Joni Mitchell and like some of the tunings that she puts her guitar in. And that felt like a really fun thing for me. I think I didn't like feeling trapped in standard tuning, like guitar standard tuning, because I had grown up playing piano. And like, there's so many different ways that you can play the piano. And I loved playing guitar, but I wasn't like satisfied with the standard tuning and then got into doing that kind of stuff.
2: Did you get to college thinking you might want to be in a band or play music with people?
3: I figured like it would be fun to like do music as like an extracurricular, but I went to school. I went to college pretty much with the idea of like becoming an academic. I was pretty sure I wanted to like be a critical theory professor or like be an ethnic studies professor. That was what I was thinking at the time.
2: Damn. That's that's <laughs> a lot. I did a little bit of that in grad school and I've just recently been like rearranging crap and archive stuff and found some of my critical theory master's stuff and was like, holy shit, I think I was much smarter then. like, I don't know what's happened to me. I don't know how I did that.
3: That's how I feel. And I did not get a master's. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what that says about, like the level of learning I was capable of doing at the time versus the level of learning I'm capable of doing now. But I'm kind of Yeah, I'm doing a similar thing. Like I purchased a couple books that are of that ilk, trying to, you know, get some of the dust off of my brain in that way. Because I did find it really satisfying and fun to like be learning that
2: stuff. Josette, what do you remember sort of exciting you first about performing or or about music specifically?
1: I don't really remember a time in my life that I didn't want to play music. It was just something that I really don't remember my existence before. And uh, I, I think it was very much a part of my personal brand of being a child. where I don't know, my dad's super into like classic rock and like folk. And I just remember like watching docs about like the band and stuff like that. And just always like knowing like that was what I was gonna do. And so I kind of don't even remember a time where I didn't really feel connected to music, at least as like a young person.
2: And what were the artists that began to feel like they were your discoveries as opposed to things that you know that you were introduced to through your family
1: I mean I I really loved Incubus when I was like 12 I thought the way that they yeah I can't remember the guitarist's name but the way he played the guitar I thought was super cool because all the music that I heard before then was way more like um I don't know rock and blues based and like the way he played guitar was way more influenced by like jazz in terms of like having different kinds of like chord variations not necessarily in terms of like how it actually sounded but I remember when I heard that I was like that's interesting to me and then I became more interested in like math rock and things like that but I really loved Incubus and I really loved Damien Rice when I was like 13 like it, it it was a mix of some random
2: What was the math rock stuff of of the era for you?
1: I really loved a band called Hella. I think Mm -hmm. that one guy, I think he's in Death Grips. Grips, Yeah, uh, Zach Hill. But the funny thing I always felt about like listening to music is like I'd rather just be making stuff. But like the first time I heard math rock, I was like, this is cool how the drums and the guitar are kind of one organism rather than like a bass and a drum being more of like the people who are communicating with each other. And so I just like was more interested in even like making the music than even kind of like consuming it at that point.
2: When you got to college, did you think it would be like, was it a thing that you were pursuing actively?
1: So we all met at USC and When I was applying to go to college, I was like, I'm either going to go to Berkeley College of Music in Boston, or I'm going to go to USC because they have popular music programs. I didn't really want to go to school really at all, but I got into USC. And so I was like, okay, I'll study music. It was always the plan for me, I think from the jump and I was pursuing it in college. And that's like kind of how Katie and I became friends because we decided to try to like be in a band together, but that first band, we didn't really even make music, but that's a whole a whole other story.
2: Sometimes a band is just hypothetical concept. Yeah, <laughs> but absolutely. Nothing, we're yeah. nothing, it's just to give it, come up with a name for it and maybe like a logo or some other trappings.
1: The, our band name was Cuddle Slut, which is
2: a good name. Great name. And so Katie, so that sets us up perfectly. Take me through your earliest inclinations toward the aughts
0: yeah yeah absolutely gonna be happy. <laughs> I just have some funny memories like if I'm being real the first thing that came to my mind was being alone in my backyard as a child and watching the grass move and I was really convinced that there were leprechauns in the grass and I just got filled with this feeling of like <laughs> pure, pure ecstasy Yeah, it was a feeling of ecstasy. It was like my cup was (laughs) overflowing with this awareness of like, there's so much more than meets the eye. And like, I think I just identify the most as like, more than I'm a musician or like a singer or anything. Like I'm a songwriter. And that did actually start for me at a very young age. So after the leprechauns in the grass, I also remember I was in third grade when nine eleven happened and in fourth grade I had a teacher named Mrs. Gresh who was very into the arts and encouraged us to write poems and there was a day where we like were talking about nine eleven, and I just got really I think I had an experience of there's like a German word I think it's Weltschmerz or something like that. It's like the the pain of the world, you know, so I'm like you a little fourth that grader. <laughs> that would be psychotic. I mean, I oh, know no, it, it, is, it is. No,
2: I love that word. It's one of many great Welchmers. Yeah,
0: it's one of many great words. And um, let's list them. Let's list all the great words. <laughs> if we could take a quick tangent. No, but I, I was always just a very sensitive, emotional kid. And I remember I had to like get up and go to the bathroom and like cry. And then I came back and like wrote a poem. And that was maybe one of my first experiences of like having, and I like totally live for this and it doesn't happen that often, but like having creativity kind of like pass through you and then you can write something like as it's happening, if you can catch it. And she was very encouraging of me. And so that same year we had a, music class and my music teacher her name was Miss Fernading and let's talk, about a
4: great word. let's
0: talk about a great word and they let us like write about our school mascot or something like that I think it was like I was supposed to write something about an eagle I told you guys this recently Do and I wrote a song I wrote a song and it was like I remember it it was Soaring through the air <laughs> oh yeah. so lightly and freely. That's fantastic. Okay. Wait, second line. Oh, I feel like a brush, <laughs> and the world is my painting. Wow. <laughs> and again, hey, how old were you? I was in fourth grade, so, oh, so I was like 11. <laughs> but like, I just felt like I got a lot of encouragement. I identify with Joe also. I was really raised in a tremendous amount of privilege where I did have access to like great art classes and teachers who were interested in like fostering what what we were interested in. So in fifth grade, I asked my teacher if if I could write a song on my guitar instead of doing a book report and she let me do it. And that was like one of the first songs I wrote on guitar. It was called like Heartbeat. When I look back on it, it's one of the many things where I'm like, I was gay and I didn't know, but like, it was similar to that book, Star Girl. Do you guys remember that book? Where it was like, just like a novel for kids where the main thing was like, this girl is so like weird and quirky and amazing and special. And like, and I probably loved her. I I didn't know what was going on, why I was so obsessed with that book. She was like a magical creature. And I wanted to write a song about her. And I did. Star Girl, Star Girl. Pretty much. (laughs) <laughs> I think it was like heartbeat. heartbeat. <laughs> was hard. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I was raised like I learned the violin first and then my mom took us to an Andrew Bird concert and I saw Andrew Bird playing the violin sideways and I was like, Well, I'm only ever doing that from now on. And then after that, my violin teacher was like, You should maybe get her a guitar. And so my mom, she knew how to play guitar. She played in Sunday school. For the kitties, so I, I used, didn't know that. yeah, so I used I her guitar I when I first started playing. But I really, as soon as I learned how to play chords, I was like writing songs and
2: kind of been doing it ever since. If you saw yourself as a certain kind of artist at that point, who were the artists you identified with?
0: I think when I started writing songs. I was super influenced. My best friend, Becca, like she's been my best friend since fourth grade, and she has really cool taste in music. And I always kind of like got stuff from her. And we were really into this band called the Weepies. I loved um Deb Talon. We were also really into Kimya Dawson. I loved like, any voices that were kind of picking apart like small things about life and then making them really huge. The other artist that my mom got me into was Imogen Heath. She really loved Fru, Fru and Imogen's records. So I was very drawn to her style of songwriting and I think I was trying to imitate her from a young age. And then the other thing is like, my parents kind of let, I'm one of three girls and they kind of just let us, follow all of our instincts in terms of what we wanted to listen to growing up so I really did listen to a ton of like it was the Spice Girls it was Samantha Mumba it was Shania Twain's like red version album that was all in my Walkman so I was I did like the pop sensibility and also like from a young age like I remember listening to is it Faith Hill who does the way you love me yeah I was always a sucker for like a pop song that I could fantasize to. I always had like insane oh, right. crushes, like on boys, LOL. But, oh, but I would listen to pop songs over and over and like have my little fantasies in my head about my crush is going to take me by the hand in the hallway. <laughs> and so I liked that world as well of like kind of intertwining songwriting with, you know, like fantasy, nice. almost fantasy as coping mechanism was definitely a part of my songwriting.
2: When you finally connected at school, what were the sort of, what were the early conversations about music that made you all feel like there was a kinship or that there was a good foundation for trying to make music together?
0: Well, it was such a winding road that brought us there. It was interesting because I was a transfer student and I had been studying history my freshman year of school when I was at NYU. And then when I transferred to USC, I was like, I still want to study American history. And that's how I met Naomi. But I also knew that I wanted to be studying music. So that's how I met Joe. And I came to USC with kind of a game plan of like, I'm going to form our La Tigre. Um,
1: Katie's always been pure business.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm a Capricorn. So is Naomi. I was so obsessed with Riot Girl at the time, but I don't like making punk music. So I was already kind of like scheming with Josette from the moment I met Joe. And then when I met Naomi, I in one of our first conversations, I was like, do you play? What did I say?
3: You were like, what do you do? Like, not in school. And I was like, I like to play guitar and I like do music sometimes. And you were like, oh, cool. You can be my band. And I was like, oh, work." And it turns out I could be
0: in her band. Turns out you could be. (laughs) And here we are. It's cute, though, because, like, when I hear Naomi, like, earlier, they said, you know, they saw themselves as, like, they were going to be an academic, and they could have been. But Naomi's best friend from college, like, after we had become friends, and, well, Naomi and I, at the the time, actually, we were dating. And Sarah pulled me aside one night and said to me, like, Naomi's not going to, like, say this to you up front, but, like. I think in their heart of hearts, they do want to be playing music. And they just like, are scared of like, how risky it is, but they do want to do it. And that shifted a lot for us because Katie found a business partner. Yeah, because then I found a business partner. (laughs) I think I was I mean, it sucks to acknowledge, but I think I kind of didn't know what to do when I first met Naomi with how talented they were. And they're like, Like, I remember you showing me stuff that you were working on. And like, you were just using such good sounds, like your guitar tones were really cool. And like, I don't have those sensibilities. So I was kind of jealous of Naomi. And then once I figured out I could tie you to me... Then that cleared the path. Because I was already tying Josette to me. So I said, <laughs> I'm not intimidated by Joe's skills because I'm subsuming them. Just making... I'm, I, because we're
3: already in a bank. Yeah. Katie's capitalism.
0: Yeah, it's kind of disgusting. But, I mean, it's gotten better.
3: I feel like we... It's just kind of a weird place to be. And we all, like... I don't know. We were all, like, little outsiders wanting to make, like, outsider art. Katie was like, I'm a commie. And I was like, same. Like, <laughs> I feel like each of us, like, came to one another with, like, different musical, like, kinships. It'd be like, oh, me and Joe, like, we like heavy shit. I can show Joe the metal that I like and Joe might like it. And that kind of stuff, like, tied us together. And me and Katie might connect on something else. And Katie and Joe might connect on, like, something else. Then all three of us all like a lot of the same stuff, too. Like, we all love Imagine Heath but we all like different songs of hers. And I think that's like, it kind of speaks to like the different tastes that we all have and also kind of what connects them. Ultimately, like, if something is good, we probably will all like it. And that has been like kind of the through line of how we make choices in our own music too.
2: After the brief interlude as Cuddle Slut, when did you start to actually like have a repertoire and write songs and what was that like early on? Like what was sort of the ideas informing the very beginning of trying to write songs together?
1: It just started. I didn't know that Naomi played guitar. It was like Naomi and I were just starting to become friends and I found out Naomi played guitar. I was like, well, why don't we play together? And I don't know if Katie invited herself or <laughs> whatever happened, but Katie brought a MIDI keyboard and like hooked it up to Ableton and like we wrote parts to a song and then Katie took it away and like came back with like a pop song and it essentially just like hasn't stopped since then it's like as soon as it started there was just like I don't even think we really even fucking negotiated anything at the time. It Katie was,
3: channeled pure God energy.
1: It, it was just,
0: it was, it was business from the jump. It kind of sounds like it was like a hundred percent my self-will, but I would like <laughs> to say that God was behind it. Yeah. but it, God, what is self-will and what is God? You know, consciousness. That is the question. But yeah, from the jump, like when we started jamming, because we were using Ableton, we were recording parts and, We did have good chemistry where it was like, it was very generative.
3: We were all pumped. Like once we were like, oh shit, this is
0: cool. Like we
3: just kept doing it. And then we were were making kind of like really
0: more experimental, more experimental
3: shit. And I remember, it's so funny. I remember we made like a pretty poppy song and people liked it. And I remember a friend of ours, Petey who's now, like, he's, like, a very famous TikToker now. Yeah. I remember he yeah, came musician. up to... Yeah, he's a musician as well. He's he's so talented and really funny and cool. And, and he, like, went to high school with Katie and moved to L.A. And I remember, like, seeing him randomly at a party and him and I having a conversation, and he was like, you should make more songs like that. Which song was it?
0: To Be rude. He was yeah. like, you should
3: make pop music. Like, yeah. you guys are really good at it. You should do it." And yeah. I was like, word. This and then
1: Naomi moved up in the business plan. <laughs>
3: That's when I received a promotion.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, no, and that just kind of like, I think we decided to make music that like made us feel good for sure, but that also like had an audience in mind mm-hmm. and like was music that could be useful to an audience. I think that kind of, that sensibility started to develop after like the first like five or six songs we wrote together.
2: Mm-hmm. What do you mean when you say useful?
1: Like. By- I mean, I feel like we both feel this way about like Katie's songs. It's like songs that can be used as just like something to dance to or it can be used as like, I don't know, a mantra to say to yourself if you're like in a really low place or like whatever, you know, need at the time. Like when we were in college, we were writing songs like Loudspeaker or I Know a Place. And like, these aren't just like pop songs that are just like, let's get on the floor. Like this is like, heavy shit, you know, lyrically. And I feel like music that has always had like a purpose. And when we're saying like we had an audience in mind, we like people who need to like hear those things are the people that we've always had in mind. And I feel like that's kind of always been a, a guiding force of why we continue making music. It's not just for our egos. Like Muna has become like for the people. And I think that's why like we've been able to like Do this for so long.
2: Yeah, I was gonna ask, and and it sounds like this is an example of the kind of thing I'm I'm asking about next, which is these moments of realization that kind of pivoted you in your songwriting or in your understanding of what the project is. Like, were there any kind of watershed moments with this thing that you're talking about, this idea of understanding we can write music that is for us, and by being for us, it also is for so many people like us.
0: Totally. Yeah. I mean, I want to give a shout out to our songwriting teacher and the dean of the pop music program at USC. His name is Chris Sampson. And I've known him since I was 15 because I did a songwriting camp with him back then. And then when I showed up at USC, as like an angry stoner, communist with green hair, writing some of the weirdest songs that anyone has ever heard. I was was down. (laughs) He like, just let me completely do that. He just did not try to control what I was creating at all. But he was like, whatever you're doing right now, it's like, I feel like you have to do it for you. Like, and I I think that's actually important. Like, if you're an artist, there probably are times where you really need to possibly like create selfishly, especially if maybe you like grew up in an environment where you're creating to try and get like approval or validation from like, somebody else like it only matters if you understand what you're singing about and like that serves its purpose but I remember there was one songwriting class where he I think it was the one where we were performing to be moved and he talked in that class about how like most artists do have to make a decision if they're doing it like just for themselves which is a totally valid way to go or if you are trying to make something that can affect somebody else and there's also obviously that Kind of strange phenomena of if it's super for you, then it also can be like for everyone else, which is such a sweet spot. But I think we decided like that we kind of wanted to embrace the idea of like a musician being like a service industry job, like make something that the song can be of service to other people.
2: I'm curious to hear about going into making this latest album that is now out, like what was the. Yeah. What was a sort of moment of reckoning maybe that you had, or was there a kind of similar moment where you're like, look, here's what we are here to do.
0: It's funny because I think that we made this record trying to just be present like every day to what a song was asking of us. Like when we're talking about the beginning of our story, it kind of sounds like we maybe did have like a master plan for a really long time. And we were vibing literally, we, but if we, anything, <laughs> if anything, like I kind of feel like this record was the time that like the master plan just went out the window I and was trying we to go. I think yeah, well, like,
3: I, not, quit. yeah, I think we did have conversations like internal conversations of, We just wanted all the songs
0: to be really good.
3: Yeah, and we wanted to subvert people's expectations of like what a band that either is unsigned or on an indie label, because we didn't know what was happening like when Mm -hmm. we started making the music. We were just like wanting to do it ourselves and surprise people with what we were capable of. This sort of through line for us that we know we're good, we know the music that we have made from the beginning until now is. Good, but a level of confusion as to like why we were like still sort of like struggling to break through. And we kind of like chopped it up to like our identities and our politics. And like that just kind of pissed us off over time, I think. Feeling burdened by like that which is put on you by the world and by the music industry and by all creative industries and how some of it just is out of your control and wanting to like take back that control a little Mm -hmm. bit and subvert the narrative and like not be beholden to those expectations of what you're capable of I think that was probably a big part of what went into like our drive when we were making the third album but I think also we were just like well I hope all the songs are good you know and like put good songs on the album and hopefully the album will be good
0: I also feel that from a songwriting and lyrical perspective what I think we actually did achieve with the third record was kind of what I wanted to achieve with the second record, but couldn't because I just wasn't there personally yet. But there are moments on the third record where like, if we're talking about songs that can be used by people, I think Muna for me has been a project of like doing a lot of shame work and like, just trying to free myself of pieces of shame, like bit by bit. And also like free myself of toxic cycles that I get stuck in because of that shame. And so when we were working on the second record, I was getting to be in this like new place, psychologically, where I was like feeling a bit more peace and a bit more comfortable with myself. But a lot of that was like, because I was like, just withdrawing and abstaining from a lot of behaviors that weren't working for me. And so that record, it's a super heavy record, but it was, for me, it was necessary to make that to get to the next place. And I think that with the third record, I had maybe, like, there's no arrival I have found, but I was starting to be able to experience love and embodiment in a new way after like a period of time of kind of being very withdrawn and reflective only. And so I'm just happy that there's a lot of that on this record. And one of my favorite kinds of messages to get from fans are like hearing from fans who have been on the same journey as I have, like through their time listening to us as a band. It's like, maybe they used to be in a relationship that was really bad for them. And like, then they you know, had some time of self discovery. And now they're like in healthy relationships, or they're pursuing careers that they want to pursue or whatever it is. And, you know, a lot of that is just like growing up. But I think it's cute that we get to do that with other people.
2: Thanks again to Muna, to Katie and Naomi and Josette, that was awesome. And you can see all of their upcoming stuff at whereismuna.com. And next, the Womack sisters, BJ, Zamani, and Kucha, who it was a pleasure to meet over Zoom this summer, when they were awaiting the release of their debut EP, they had just pushed it back a bit so they could add their cover of I I was mentioning this earlier, of their grandfather Sam Cooke's Change is Gonna Come, which is on that debut EP called Legacy, out now and they're working on finishing a full length album for 2023 Hi,
4: I'm Kucha, I'm BG and I'm Zamani. and together we're the the Womack sisters, and you're listening to the LSQ Podcast
2: Hello. Hey. Hi. So good to meet you. I love your music. And your debut EP just came out on Friday, right? Well, we had a little bit
4: of technical difficulty, so we had to move back a little bit, unfortunately, but it'll be coming very soon. We added our grandfather's song, Change Is Gonna Come, to our EP. Yeah. And so we had different mixing that we wanted to get yeah. done. You know, we and want to make sure it's perfect. because It's such a strong song. Yeah. Us. It's really important that it's heard the right way and that it means something to everyone, you know, in this time that we are in, I think there's a lot of growth that we have to do and it's going to be inspiring for people. So that's why we wanted to include it in our ending.
2: Oh my God, that's amazing. But also I want to know more about when you put your heads together to figure out what your interpretation of it's going to sound like. Obviously, I haven't heard it yet, but you must have had a lot of different ideas and such a personal connection to your grandfather's song. Like, tell me about your thought process behind what we'll eventually hear for your version.
4: Well, we didn't want to distort it. We wanted the message to come across as filled emotionally as it was originally recorded. But we also wanted to add our little flavor to it without corrupting the original structure of the song. So I think people will be happy with the route we took. We really love to have a lot of instrumentation in our music. So it was easy for us to kind of just go from the heart with it and make something we can appreciate as well as what we feel everybody would appreciate from this generation.
2: You're new to releasing music and releasing original songs, but you obviously come from an extensive musical lineage and I'm so curious, when did you start to see yourselves either separately or as siblings as like, wait, we're going to do music too?
4: For me, it was immediate. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was born while they were on tour, like their second album. We were in the studio with them when they were making the majority of their records. And just to see the process and then be a part of it and and how it makes you feel when you create something that, that brings you inspiration and joy when you listen to it. That's when I personally felt like this is what I want to spend my life doing. Music yeah. has always been the answer to whatever I was feeling as far as giving me understanding and guidance. Absolutely. We actually started off as their roadies. We yeah. were, you know, kind of
3: charted <laughs> the quick, put to work, put to work,
4: our right? dirty work. And then they kind of graduated us to their background singers. Right. And then we started opening for them. And I feel like as a group, we really started kind of honing in on like what we had to get, what our artistic, yeah. you know, direction would be. Yeah
2: tell me about what age would you have been when you started feeling like, okay, well, there's this history, but we're different from that and we have our own thing we want to do. Like, when did y'all find your sound?
4: I think it's living life, you know? Uh, When we moved away from our parents, they were living in Thailand and, and they had a home in London as well. That's when we really started to figure out how we wanted to approach our music and what it is that we wanted to bring to sound, you know, because I feel like Music is—it's a representation of who you are. So us getting out in the world and experiencing real yeah. life, having relationships, getting married, losing mm-hmm. relationships. Yeah, I would mm-hmm. say mid-teens it started for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's like that—that—that like that, that time where you're like self-discovery. You're looking yeah. for something. And you're it's really twenties start- for me because that's when I really started to experience yeah. life things, and that's when I knew what kind of music I wanted to make. I had appreciation. Mm-hmm or the music I was hearing as far as my parents' music and yeah. other music, but I didn't know what kind of music I really was going to make until I started having what? life experiences that really inspired me to write a certain way.
2: You know, I think to think the obvious kind of influences that people would identify listening to your songs so far are more retro things, you know, whether it's the Motown girl group thing or the more recent kind of R&B singing group thing, but obviously you're very modern and I'm curious what artists in the past few years of you deciding to really lean into this and put out your original songs and stuff, who are some of the artists nowadays that you look to as kind of role models and stuff?
4: It's, it's a I don't variety. Call Beyonce a new, yeah? I, mean, I mean, I don't know if she's a considered a newbie, but I feel like for this generation, she's definitely, yeah, so it's she's a little like a bit. Queen. Yeah. It's a little bit of yeah. everything. You know, I listen to country. I listen to rock. I listen to rap, you know, I think nobody's doing what I want to do personally, just me. Right, I, right. Nobody's doing what I want to bring to music. And, and, and that's also what drives me personally to write mm. certain kind of songs because I'm not hearing what I want to hear in music. You know, I'm not hearing enough of people fighting for love and yeah. togetherness. I'm not hearing unity in music. I'm hearing insecurities and I'm hearing boasting about what you have. Mm. And none of that is what I care to bring to the table so I have to go within when it comes to what it is I want to bring to the table personally
2: you talked about truly growing up in the studio with your parents and how right away you knew it was something you connected with and I'm sure seeing the joy it brought to them and you know to their sense of purpose that it gave them it felt like that's a good thing to model but when did you start to realize like the grandpa thing and like oh wait a minute, Sam Cook like whoa when did you have the maturity for his music? To hit you as something like, that's not just your grandfather, that's like a whole other thing.
4: I feel like because, like you were saying, when you're immersed in it from the time you're a child, I was there for all of the interviews. They they didn't leave us at home at all, so we were tutored on the road with them all the time, you know. So just listening to some of the interviews that we were a part of gave us an idea of what the family was about. But our parents played the music for us from the time we were born. So he always told us, you know, the yeah. impact that his music had, civil yeah. rights movement and bringing people together, you know, and he, yeah. he refused yeah. to perform to segregated crowds. And so just hearing our mother tell us all these stories about yeah. him, we really had a high respect. Yeah, for we him respected him from highly from the earliest ages. Prior to yeah. knowing exactly how much he meant to other people, he was already our major yeah. Absolutely. And then provoking change, even in the music business, you know, he was one of the first to start a label and to be able to extend. have his publishing, yeah, and and, and sign, sign other artists. Yeah, he was ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah. they really right. were uh, vocal in letting us know that really early. They preached about him heavily, constantly, and the whole family. You know, we have members of the family who are not as famous, but equally it's important, powerful, powerful, working, talented, you know. So we grew up with a high respect for all of our.
2: It's interesting. This feels like it's an interesting moment for the three of you because you've been doing this for so long, your whole lives, truly. But yet this is a moment of like getting ready to launch something, you know, in a way for the first time. So how are you feeling just this summer of 2022? How are you feeling? We feel
4: like overwhelmed sometimes because, you know, so much has gone on in the past two years. It's big other than our career. Yeah. Yeah. The personal journeys that we've been on, it's definitely been life changing. Life changing. And yeah. I think the music is our therapy and that's what keeps us together and keeps us being able to release the pain that we feel. You know, yeah. I, I lost my husband in 2020. And so just the loss, family members yeah. that have passed away, it's been a lot. And it also kind of made us draw back a bit from focusing on the music and putting ourselves out because you know, you have to do things that feel right to your soul. And if you have so much turmoil in your life and you're trying to find yourself, you've got to focus on your existence. And so that has definitely taken us away from the music at times over the years, because we ran into a lot of people who tied us up in bad deals. We had a situation with a person we really believed in and it tied us up for three years and yeah. that just kind of made us lose our love for the business side of it because the music is the joy but when people try to profit and lock you it into situations and, yeah. and control your music and it's just it gets so ugly that you don't even want to be a part of it but us knowing just how this makes us feel yeah. and finally getting to yeah. so put out our ep exactly yeah. so it was crazy. And, we're, and we're doing it independently at this point because we we want to just enjoy oh, the lovely music, music it yeah. feels good being in the power of the yeah position, you know, to, to be say, that sounds good and, and not have to fight about it yeah because yeah. it's about the love for the music and, yeah. and a lot of the times people want to make it too much about the business and you take all the joy out of it so yeah you know, we had to take a step back and find the right situation yeah. yeah but yeah now that we're finally here i would definitely say i mean it feels- oh my god yes yeah. long champagne. time coming champagne <laughs> popping
0: yeah right?
4: yeah it's gonna, it's gonna hit us in a minute yeah
2: all right, well, that is about it for episode 81. Thanks again for your ears, and thanks again to the Womack sisters and to Muna. And I've got a couple of episodes left for this season. I'm excited to share interviews with Barty Strange and K-Tempest in the coming weeks. And if you have questions or feedback, I'm at JennyLSQ on Twitter. Talk to you next time.